Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. and welcome to another episode of the Mindful You podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us, Spring Washam. Spring is a teacher, a healer, and an author. She also is the founder of Lotus Vine Journeys, which is a retreat center focusing on plant medicine, healing in Costa Rica. She has come onto the podcast to talk to us about her journey being a healer and also working with sacred plant medicine. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, thank you. So happy to be with you. Yeah. So I guess to get started, as I was going through your website and I was researching you, I noticed there's a lot of different various ways that you show up and you're an author, you work with meditation and teaching that, you run an organization, you facilitate plant medicine, sacred plant medicine. And I'm wondering, where did this path of sacred medicine and spiritual teachings and healing interests come from? And also, where did you study all this from? It's not like you go to college and you get a plant medicine degree. It's, it's a very unique path. And I'm just curious, how did that path go for you? Yeah, now you can add a third one on, you know, the author. And I have a book about Harriet Tubman coming out. And so that's like another stream. And the Underground Railroad and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you know, I would say that each aspect of my path, it just it just followed very organically. You know, I started really young practicing meditation just due to all the suffering, you know, and I grew up and uh, I was born in East Long Beach and there was all this drama and a single parent and all, all this, you know, everything that kind of happens and, and living on my own at a very young age. So I got very interested in suffering. I would say this is the foundation of it all. I was really interested in suffering and why are people so miserable? Why is there violence? Why is my family depressed? You know, why is it so stressful? That really launched me into studying Eastern philosophy. First, I was practicing in the Hindu tradition. And then I stumbled across a Vipassana retreat in my very early 20s. And I met my teacher there, Jack Cornfield. And this is before Spirit Rock was even built out yet. This was like a long time ago. It was out in the desert. And I remember when I heard the Buddha's teachings for the first time, and I was so excited. I was like, this is it. This is the path I've been looking for with all the instructions. <laughs> Everything <laughs> is laid out. There's a map. Yeah. There's suffering. There's the end of suffering. So they say, great. You know, and then became my way of life for years, dedicated and practicing and traveling around the world. And and it was many, many years later while I was on a long retreat that a whole bunch of trauma came out. 
came up and it destabilized me. I kind of had a classic meltdown or spiritual classic. emergency. <laughs> the, oh, A to Z. I mean, they're classic <laughs> for a reason. I mean, everyone has the same symptoms, yeah. you know, ungrounded, disassociated, mm -hmm. you know, can't get back in your body, freaking out, can't meditate, can't not meditate, you know. And what happened was when I had that, I was already started a community in Oakland called East Bay Meditation Center. I was supposed to be a leader there. And here I was freaking out. And I just finished my teacher training and every, I mean, just got on the Spirit Rock Teachers Council. And I suddenly had all these, a crisis, all these energies and old emotions and images of that's what led me into going to Peru because I heard about the Shipibo people working with plants and the benefits of using plant medicine to heal trauma. I only went just to focus on my own trauma. And so I started to go down uh, to Peru and that was 13 years ago. And that just led me into a whole nother exploration again around healing the mind. So I definitely utilized my Buddhist background there because while I was there, I was practicing, you know, thank goodness I had the Dharma, you know, it was wild down there at times. <laughs> it does seem like a unique, different things that you're bringing together. And then as you're explaining it, it makes sense that you had this sort of path and it all was hinged on wanting to know about healing and to discovering your trauma and figuring it out. And, and I think that's what happened with me with Buddhism is I fell upon Buddhism. I'm like, this is it. Here it is. It's like, I'm not being told what to do. I'm being invited that there's like things that we can do to make ourselves feel better. And, you know, like I'm not suffering, but I experience suffering. So it's like, we can move on from things that don't serve us. And I was really like vibing with that. I mean, I always describe Buddhism to people as like the Buddha was like this great psychiatrist. And you don't, you know, you could just listen to this wise being who's going to help you with your mental health and your emotions. And, you know, just imagine it like that, you know, so that way that's an access point. And so I always looked at Buddhism as a healing modality. <laughs> It's like healthcare, you know, it's going to, my mind is crazy. I need help. You know, that was me on my first retreat. I was like, help, that's out of control, <laughs> right? Yeah. I need, I need, I need, I really was praying for help before my first 10 mm -hmm. day retreat, you know? Yeah. And I received that and then I had tools and then I, and then out of that became always my interest in social justice. That was just a natural offshoot of compassion. <laughs> yeah, I, I see Buddhism as, as like an emotional investment. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. To learning how to serve you and how you work. Okay, so I know that you facilitate, you are a facilitator for sacred plant medicine and you have sessions and you come across a lot of probably different people with clients dealing with many different things in their life, maybe not dealing with anything. They just want to experience something new. And some people are coming there and they got some really deep trauma. I'm curious, like, how is it that you hold space for the diversity of ways that people emotionally and physically and psychologically show up? And also, how do you show up for yourselves during this? Because I can only imagine how emotionally draining it is for you. 
and maybe for the participant as well, or maybe it's not. I don't know. I'm just curious. How do you feel sustainable in in such like a uh, facilitator role? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. And well, one of the things being that the organization Lotus Vine Journey is Buddhist based. So we all rather we have extreme post-traumatic stress, maybe a diagnosis or we're depressed or we feel stuck in our lives or we have anxiety. We're all coming with the framework of the Dharma as the anchor. So that right here is why I started it. We all have an entry point. We all know how to practice. We all understand the concept, at least of mindfulness and presence and compassion. So really that creates the framework for everybody to participate. You know, we're, we're utilizing this practice, this retreat, sacred ceremonies to me are a time of practice. Can I be in my body? Can I experience this? Can I be present? And that's really what I'm training people to do in the ceremony, outside of the ceremony, awareness, what is happening, letting go, bringing in more compassion, understanding how we create our own suffering. Where are we clinging and how do we let go? So these rather, wherever you are on the spectrum, clinging and letting go, this is universal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We all need help with that. And so that's what my retreats are really about is clinging and non-clinging. The third and fourth, you know, second and third noble truth, the cause of suffering and then the, the end of suffering and then the path. And because our facilitators and myself, this is our practice, we use the retreat as our practice. We are practicing with people. It's not like I'm doing something to them. I'm now going to do, it's like, no, we're here together. This is co-created. Your healing affects my healing. We're on the ride together. You know, it's not like I'm separate, like I'm a separate entity and everyone's, <laughs> no, their insights, their understanding, their truths, their letting goes, their freedom is bound up with mine. And so we're moving together toward, you know, day by day, we're, we're like a marathon, you know, and we're, we're running together. It's like a four-legged race or 25-legged race, you know? So and when you look at it like that, I don't have to carry anything. I'm just myself. I'm just expressing the Dharma as it comes through me. I'm just trusting that the universe is also in control. When you're working with plant medicine, there's higher powers operating. It's our Buddha nature, you know, in control. So, so I don't have to do anything. I just need to create a lot of safe containment for, for them. I see. Wow. Yeah. I guess some of us are built for that and some of us aren't, you know? So it's, it's really, <laughs> I'm just kind of like, yeah, oh, like I got to deal with my own. I'm built for it. People have told me that, like, <laughs> you're good at this. And I am, um, it was like, kind of like, like, I, I feel very natural in the middle of those moments yeah. or even chaos or, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's conducting, you know, it's the maestro conducting a kind of, um, experience. <laughs> Maestra. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. Yeah. So when we hear the word sacred medicine, nowadays we could be speaking about so many different things, things like marijuana, LSD, ketamine, psilocybin, DMT, or ayahuasca. And I'm curious, could you let our listeners know the medicine in which you work closely with at your Lotus Journeys and your facilities? And also, 
why do you work with this medicine and what can it teach people with their traumas or the things they're looking to heal? Yeah, I, you know, when I talk about entheogens or plant medicine, I think of ayahuasca first. It's kind of like one of the most powerful, the most well-known. I think when people talk about plant medicine all over the world universally, I think ayahuasca is being studied so much now. It has been studied. It's so much. It's all in the jungle. It's happening. Like they don't have ketamine in the Amazon. They're not working with that. Also not a plant too. So some of the things I named were chemically manipulated. So they're not necessarily plants, but marijuana, mushrooms, and DMT, I guess. So when I think about plant medicine, I tend to think of like, um, you know, Andean, Peruvian, Brazil, the tribes, what are the tribes working with indigenous, what's growing in the jungle naturally. So Lotus Vine has always, my specialty over the last 13 years has always been ayahuasca, but also San Pedro too, which is, you could say it's like the brother of peyote. It's a cactus that grows in the high. Yeah, Yeah. they're cousins. They're both mescaline. They're both cactuses. They grow, you know, And so I'd say I'm really well-versed in those two, particularly ayahuasca. And I also, over the last year or two, have done a lot with psilocybin and and growing appreciation for psilocybin and especially all the research and also just the history of psilocybin, especially in like Mexico. And it's pretty amazing. It has a long history. so. So yeah, that's. And all these new, you know, ketamine I've never worked with, LSD. I did some, I had some classic bad experiences, wrong set and setting when I was really young and had to heal for a lot of years from that. It was like, you know, a lot of us had traumatizing experiences, very traumatizing. So all of these just have to be held as sacred, that when you're using anything you are entering into sacred space and to not understand that is detrimental because when you're working with people anything could arise and that's the biggest thing with westerners that i think is hard to understand is the ceremony aspect there's a reason we create a whole ceremony where people are playing music and people are ten. it's a hospital we open up the spirit hospital And we hold space from a certain period of time, eight hours, nine hours, we're holding space for people and bringing them down and getting them water and tending to them. So I think that that's probably where Westerners go wrong is they don't always understand that. (laughs) So it's like Disneyland, that's a sacred space, let's go. And then, you know, then they're freaking out and then you have police involved and mental hospitals and, you know, terrorized people. So I just want to hone that as just one of my core messages is you've got to understand what it means to be using these and creating a ceremonial space where real healing can happen. Yeah, it's a very sensitive space that you go in. You want to honor the space. You want to make sure that you, you know, Mama Aya going to treat you nice because sometimes sometimes they'll, they'll turn you upside down. It's really hard to fathom what could happen. Until you're there and you're like, oh, crap, this is happening and it's hard to deal with. So so creating a sacred space is like super important. 
Yeah, because people have trauma that often they're totally oblivious to. And I think that's what happened, you know, with LSD. It's such a powerful agent and people taking it and not understanding how to help others, you know, or what's happening where a lot of those things could have been real breakthroughs had I had this understanding of spirits and um, healing and trauma, you know, we're, we're evolving though, you know, it's evolution. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So I'm excited for this next question because I feel like I contain both of these elements as well. And so do you, and I'm just curious about your perspective. So what I noticed was on your retreat center website that you mentioned ancient medicine, which is referring to the mother ayahuasca and also Buddhist wisdom. So what I found interesting about that was ayahuasca comes from Central America and the practice of over there. And then Buddhism comes from an Eastern setting. And I'm curious, like, how do these different practices interweave together into the tapestry that you call, you know, your Lotus Journey Facilitating Organization? Like, how do they work together? Because they're so, they're, they're from different regions of the world and they're different ideas, but yet, like, they they like work together somehow. And I'm curious, how do you work them together? Well, you know, the thing is, is that ayahuasca, you know, we could describe ayahuasca as like a doctor, right? A spirit doctor. And that's how I always describe people ask me, what is ayahuasca? And I always say, it's a soul doctor. It's a spirit doctor, right? Then then you, yeah. So ayahuasca has had other collaboration. Santo Daime Church is the biggest, one of the biggest ayahuasca churches in Brazil. And they mix Catholicism with ayahuasca, right? And they have church. Basically, you drink ayahuasca and they reenact a church. They have the songs in Portuguese. They believe, millions and millions of people, that when they're drinking ayahuasca, that they're doing almost like drinking the blood of Christ. They're taking in Christ consciousness. And they see images of the Virgin and they see you know, Jesus of Nazareth, and they see Mary, and they feel healed and compassion. So, so there's a precedent for lineages, right? So I was actually inspired by that. I thought, well, if there's a Christian, and Santo Daime has gone around the world, right? Because a lot of people in the world are Christians. But I started to think when I was younger, what if there was a Buddhist-based one? (laughs) What if there was a lineage where we where we study the Dharma and we utilize the medicine and we open those channels, you know, because the medicine teaches you in the language that you are. If you're, you know, also remember working with a group of Muslims that came from Egypt. I was in the jungle staying for a year and there was a group of Egyptians and I was asking them, Oh my God, how did you guys get here? And they said, Oh, we read this great book called Tripping with Allah, where the Sufi guy wrote all about how this connects you. <laughs> and so they were devout uh, Muslims and they were so journeying with the plants and they were loving it. And they were having these divine experiences that were connecting their faith to the mystical Sufism and, and, and to their art and to the real heart of their culture. So the Buddhist path, just because that's who I am by nature, that's my root. It just became, well, let's, let's connect the Dharma. And over the years I've had lamas come, I've had Zen priests come. 
I've had all kinds of teachers come and all of them say the same thing. My faith is strengthened. What I thought, what I, I thought I knew interconnectedness one way, but when I was here, I felt at one with the cells of the universe. Like it deepens your faith. It, it, it takes things from the mental level into the deep body knowing, you know, so we might think we understand emptiness or we might think we understand deity yoga or compassion or bodhicitta and we do, but there's levels. So I'm interested in moving people faster through the levels of insight. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's beautiful. And I, I totally vibe with that because I came up as a, as a young little Padawa in the, the Buddhist tradition. Like I discovered Buddhism on my own. And then I went to Naropa. I got a contemplative Buddhist degree, but then I also started getting in the world of psychedelics and then realizing the healing potential there. And I really liked how you said strengthening your faith because you know, if you're pretty solid in, in a faith and then you have a psychedelic experience, it shows you like loneliness does exist. Suffering does exist. Joy, happiness, encouragement, like love, companionship, all that stuff is real. But like you feel it on such a deep level that you can't deny it anymore. You're not just like, oh, I know it exists, but I haven't felt that. It's like you felt that. Yeah. And that's what we want. We want these concepts and we want the Dharma to be fully embodied and in a way, and, and we will, if we had time, I always tell people, look, these plant medicines didn't exist a hundred years ago in our awareness collectively. We didn't know, right? Maybe in some secret cultures or, you know, thousands of years ago, people have been using them, but they didn't exist in, in the Buddhist world. But I really think that they're they're emerging now because there's a, there's a timeline. <laughs> we have no time to lose. There's an urgency now. And I think what we're, we're looking for is to move faster through the tangles, to move faster through our karmas, our confusion, our veils, our delusions. Like we, it's like, it's just kind of like getting in a, instead of riding our bike, you know, we're getting in a very fast moving bullet train. We're still, it's still hard. It's still challenging. It's not a shortcut. It's hard. It is a shortcut, but it's not easy. Shortcut implies there is an easy path through it. No, you're going to go through a lot, but we're moving at a pace. And if you have faith, if you have a foundation, you'll be able to uh, be with that journey of plant medicine in a, with much more clarity because you you already know who you are. You know the reason you're doing this. You have your map. And, and the medicine's just going to keep you on your map, whether it's Hinduism, Sufism, Catholicism, and show you that road. So I have a deep faith in the medicine in that regard. And one thing I'm, I'm hearing, too, is how the medicine shows up in the faith that you show up to the medicine. Absolutely. So it, it kind of can conform and speak the language and the ideologies that you vibe with already. So it's like, it's like, oh, you're, you're Christian. Like, let's have a Christian psychedelic trip with ayahuasca. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're a scientist, you'll have one, one that's all science kind of more if that's your, if that's your religion, you know, because there are all of these have truths in like, you know, they say there's 10,000 Dharma doors. 
right? We each need a slightly different practice based on who we are, our culture, our background, our gender, our grand, great, great grandmother's faith, you know, all of these things play into what we're receptive to and how we can meet ourselves on our path. So yeah, ayahuasca could, you know, all of these great religions have profound truths in them at the core, Yeah, you know, which is waking up, being, you know. <laughs> <laughs> totally. All right. So what most people don't know is that ayahuasca is a vine from a tropical plant mixed or cooked with another plant to allow the human body to absorb the medical qualities of the medicine. And I'm curious, could you tell us why this is the process of creating the medicinal compound and why is adding this other plant activating the brain chemistry within our experience? Okay, so all of this has to do with the spirit molecule known as DMT, okay? DMT is, you could say, is incredible. It's in everything. It's in plants. It's in your brain. It's in, it's in the fabric of reality, DMT. But if you were to ingest DMT, your body would metabolize it within seconds. So ayahuasca is this vine, as we know, grows um, deep in the jungle, wraps itself around trees. And what it needs to be activated, although it has a lot of activated properties on its own, but what it needs is another plant called chacruna. And it's a, just a green leafy shrub. You would never recognize it. How people figured out to blend these is beyond. There's a million vines. There's a million green shrubs. But what happens is these plants are cooked down together. And the chacruna has all the DMT. And what ayahuasca has is an inhibitor. What ayahuasca has is the ability to sustain the DMT in your system. It blocks it for many hours from metabolizing. So therefore what happens is you take them together and the DMT gives you a seven or eight hour experience. And that's what you're doing is you're really journeying with the DMT. You're entering into the spirit world, as you could say, you're entering into light consciousness. You're, you're entering into like a parallel reality through this kind of opening right? It's almost like the, like there's an opening in the matrix and for eight, seven, eight hours, you're outside of it and you can see, right? But it closes up when the DMT metabolizes and digests out of your system. But the gift is they've never been able to find an inhibitor and ayahuasca is that. So the two are always cooked together and it takes hours and hours, days to make a bottle of ayahuasca. The recipe is very precise. Very few people know how to cook and make ayahuasca powerfully. It's kind of like an ancient recipe. So that's what happens. That's really the beauty. The beauty is the DMT and the prolonged journey. So some people smoke DMT and it's maybe an eight-minute experience, seven or eight-minute experience until it's gone out of their system. And that has some benefit. But the real benefit is when it's prolonged for hours and hours and you can have a whole life review and you're in that world and you're working and you're cleaning and you're healing your body and you're doing DNA level work and you're purging and you're, you know, there's a, there's an accelerated experience. People often say one ceremony is like 20 years therapy. You've heard people say that because so much happens 
in that extended. So that's what ayahuasca, the compounds, is the gift of digesting our body that way inhibits the breaking down of the DMT and we can extend that state into a full journey. Yeah. And and again, like you said, DMT is in our brains. So it's, it's everywhere. It's in plants. It's, like, chemical, it's in the atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a chemical that our bodies like it knows right away. It's like, oh I know I know where you go. Here you go. Put it put it over there. It's a Yeah. It's a in small amounts. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting that like something that can really bring you out of your body is also contained within your body. And there's also plants all over the world that have DMT in them. Uh, a friend of mine who works with me. Salvia um, divinorum has Yeah, DMT, Salvia right? divinorum, acacia tree in Australia, which now we understand that the aboriginals they would burn huge piles of it. So, and then we'd breathe it in and journey and journey and journey. No wonder we were like, wow, they were experiencing and they would just burn it and breathe it and, and, and go around the fire all night. They would just pour these leaves on and, and journey in the ancestor world. So, so okay, we probably will find more and more plants as mother earth is offering us these remedies to heal ourselves. Like these are gifts from, you know, from the earth, you know, herself, like here, wake up. You'll stop destroying me when you use these plants. So I guess for people that have never had a psychedelic experience, they might not really understand what we're talking about. And I'm curious, what do you think the medicine is actually doing for the individuals that participate in such ceremonies? Is it a chemical shift within the body? Is it a psychological shift in their perspective? Maybe both. Like, what do you, what do you think is going on? Well, you know, I think all of that is happening. You know, when I talk to people about medicine and ceremonies, I talk about the four levels of the human system. Like on the physical level, we're being cleaned of toxins, of all anything that could cause cancer from pollution to GMO food to pesticides to antibiotics to mold to lead. You know, we've been exposed in the West to we highly toxic, right? Just all of the prescription medications, all the chemicals we put on babies, you know, everything. So the medicine clears on the physical level, hence ayahuasca is very unusual because of the purgative effect. The nickname in the jungle is La Purja. You don't experience that on LSD. And the LSD is very mental, ketamine very mental. Ayahuasca goes into literally the depths like within minutes. You're like, wow. I mean, yeah, it's everywhere. It's like a right? tongue scraper for the inside of your body. Oh, yeah. And it literally, and that's why it's so powerful. And that's why it has a lasting effects. It's cleaning dark energy. It's cleaning toxic energy. And on the physical level and on the emotional level, right? It's like our pain body that we have, it's going through a whole detox. We're releasing emotions. We're releasing old memories, grief, traumas. On the mental level, it's trying to uproot bad programs. Racism, sexism, separation, ego, heavy ego identification, right? It's trying to break our habits, our chain of obsessively thinking negatively. The habits of the mind are just patterns, you know, neural pathways. It's trying to close those and create ones based on truth. 
interconnectedness, compassion, bodhicitta, freedom. It's reinforcing our dharma values, right? What we what what the Buddha's teaching us, right? What are so that's what we do in ceremony is like we're moving away from that and moving toward that. And on also, you know, on our light body level, people have chronic pain and tears and all of that is being rewoven in the ceremony. It's like, you know, we're being stitched back together and, and it's a better version. It's a cleaner version. It's a healthier version. So depending on where you are in your, in your capacity, you can start enter into the place where you feel comfortable right? Ayahuasca is kind of like a little bit like college, you know, but that's okay. Sometimes people are ready to go straight to college. They've been in the school of life and they're like, give it to me, you know, and that's great. Other people, it might be like, start, you know, with a therapist one-on-one with psilocybin. (laughs) You know, there's, there's stages of knowing what your capacity is. You know, my retreats are very advanced. They're for people who like, I'm going to come to the deepest work and they prepare a month, two months to come. They're detoxing, they're cleansing, they're working out. They're like in a warrior training and they show up and they're like, let's do this. And it's like, great. They're ready to let go of something really big. So it's like going at your pace to honoring your system. Yeah, honoring your system. That's a good way to recognize it. And I guess sometimes we don't even know how to honor our system. And so I I guess ayahuasca can kind of show us that it re- resets us, revitalizes us, takes out some of those toxins. Like I remember my first ayahuasca journey, I, I purged a lot and, and like, I was stoked. I was just like, yeah, let's get it out. And it was, it was quite an experience. And I I actually like, was like in little prayer hands, like just barfing it out. And I, I was loving it, but I felt like super just light and just beautiful afterwards. And it's a thing. Some people can do that. Some people can't. And preparing your body and yourself and having like dietary restrictions before you go in is, is probably the best work you can do because I guess some people can just jump into it and you can't, you can't lie. Well, I don't recommend that. I don't recommend that. If you, I mean, that's why I say ayahuasca is like the queen of the (laughs) spirit world, the plants and it's better when you're the best way to come into a ceremony is with a deep humility and having prepared and with gratitude and respect. And we respect the cleaning. We, we do these preparations as a way to respect also the spirit world and the plants. We're asking for help. They're going to come. They're going to come and they're going to help. They're going to operate. They're going to show you. They're going to help. Clean. You know, we're, we're knocking on their door going help and they're going to show up. But it's a lot easier if you do your part and just follow some dietary restrictions, which is unique to this plant. We're not used to thinking that, you know, we always have to prepare. We might prepare emotionally, but you have to do a lot of preparation if you want to, especially if you want to go to South America or something, you want to really have your intentions actually very clear. And honoring your system is just knowing who you are. If you have done no trauma work in years and years and anything that arises, you run from it, maybe not, or there's a terrible anxiety disorder, anytime there's slight discomfort, start small. If you're someone who's been to 20 retreats and you've warriored through, you know, and you've done, you know, a lone cabin, you're good. You're going to, you're going to be all right. You know, so it's just 
honoring, you know, and being very mindful of mental health, right? And support and, you know, it's not right for everybody. For sure. Yeah. It's up to us to decide what is right for us. So like, you know, just be careful, do some research and prepare. Do research. Yeah. And the organization, like for us, when we're, we're thinking of bringing someone down, we have a long questionnaire and a long interview online. And even then we have to say yay or nay, you know, is this. So also the facilitator, the group should also, if they're skilled people, if there's a concern, wow, this could maybe not be helpful or maybe is too much. You know, we've often told people to go to a, a Vipassana course first if we had a concern, because then you're able to sit with yourself in a different way, right? Or recommended maybe they just go to a one night or two night, not fully jump into the whole program, right? I see. Yeah, because you do how long would you say the ceremony, like you, you do like a week and you do three days medicine, four days off in integration? No, like how does that so work? we... So my, right now, my, I have been doing the same 14 day journey where we do anywhere between five to six ceremonies. We usually do six ceremonies. So usually we're doing a ceremony every other night. And then, um, then we have practices and yoga and group introductions and chairs and other things all during the day, but that's accelerated. So we might tell somebody, maybe go to one before you fly, <laughs> right? Go, go see how easy with like, you know, that's a lot. Maybe none. It's a lot. Yeah. That's why I said I, my retreat is for those who are, you know, already well on the path. And that's why I, I say the, because there's a lot of Buddhists who are ready for that. They've been like, I've been practicing for years. I'm ready. I'm feel plateaued. I'm stuck. I want to break through. You know, and they're ready. I find that Dharma practitioners, those real warrior ones are perfect for that. It's like kind of what this is geared for because they know how to practice. They know how to call on it. They know how to, you know, they know how to work with themselves. And then I can do the rest. As long as someone's able to be with the experience, our crew can help, you know, ground the rest. Amazing. All right. So I actually thought of a question today that wasn't on my script and I'm really vibing with this right now and I want to ask it. So in your retreats, you work with multiple plants. So you have the plant medicine, the sacred medicine and doing that. But what I've also noticed was you have like a full dietary list. So when you go to the retreat, you kind of get subjected to this diet based upon plants and I'm curious how important it is to not only have the plant medicine over here, but then you also have like what you're eating on a daily basis is plant-based and very healthy. How do those plants work together? So it's like your dietary plant restrictions and then you have your sacred medicine plant restrictions. Yeah, for me, food is so important, you know, so we pretty much have a vegan diet through the whole time and our we have these amazing chefs that come and yeah, it's just the whole the whole process what I take people through is basically healing with Panchamama. Like we're in an earth hospital here. So you got swimming in the rivers, plants on your head, flower baths, eating the plants, digesting the plants in the ceremony. Right? It's like we're going to heal with with this earth consciousness. We're going to and that's 
also what is so powerful is that 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 other aspect is Gaia, <laughs> is our reconnecting. You know, I have people take their shoes off, walk on the earth, lay on the earth, ground down. We're in, you know, we're in the jungle at night and it's the whole rainforest is alive. And to, for people, it's like the reconnecting to that is, is I think what the medicine is really doing ultimately for humanity. That's the gift. It's moving everything out of the way so that we feel our oneness, you know, with the elements, with the earth. So we use plants for everything, you know. I never thought of it that way until recently where it's just like every retreat you go to has a diet, has a certain diet. And they're, they tend to be vegan, plant-based. And I just never really like put those two together. It's always like, oh, the medicine's over here and then we all come to the dinner table and eat our food and whatever. But it's like, they're very similar. Well, not every retreat in Peru has the kind of diet that we have. Like it was, I remember when I said, I'm going to do a vegan diet, people were like, what? You have to eat chicken and rice. I was like, yeah, I can't. Yeah, because I lived in those other places and I and I saw people eating and I was like, this is actually not helping. This is actually, you know, but again, everything is evolution and, and we can compartmentalize a lot of things unknowingly. And now it's like, okay, yes, everything is coming together now. <laughs> All right. So I just got two more questions for you and then I'll leave you be. So I've noticed with many of these healing centers and these retreats, there's always or most likely an integration of plant medicine, yoga, healthy food, and meditation, and also like share circle kind of group work. And I'm curious, what about these practices that benefit the healing process? So it's not, I guess some people can walk into it being like, oh, the, the sacred medicine is the healing, but it's like, well, actually, it's also the yoga, the meditation the speaking to the facilitators, the group work. So can you explain to us why it's important to have like a holistic healing approach instead of like medicine and then like we let you go and you do what you want and then you come back for the next session? Yeah. So first of all, when I first started going to Peru 14 years ago, they did nothing at the centers. You basically did the ceremony and then you sat in a hammock smoking giant mapacho tobacco puffs all day long and talk to people and there was no practices. So there's been a real shift because you have to have integration when you go home. You have to be able to talk about the experience. You have to be able to meditate, do yoga, all these things together work to support the the medicine work. Like, so I recently, my last few retreats, um, got super into working with this Kundalini yoga teacher and it's hard. Kundalini, real Kundalini yoga, an hour and a half a day. Oh, it's, but it was like a training and everyone was complaining like, ah, oh, it's too hard. Oh. But then in the ceremonies, they would feel their root law and they would feel the energy moving and they were able to they felt that it brought so much power and so much opening. So we are doing these things similar to what would be in a, like a, a Kagi retreat where you would do yoga, you would do breath work, you would do your practices, you would eat very mindfully, like a traditionally, you wouldn't be eating a lot of food. There'd probably be a lot of fasting involved. We fast on the nights that we do ceremony. And all of these are just expedient 
There are ways we do the yoga to open the body. We have group to open the heart. Listen to what's happening with the people. Share, learn how to be in a sacred council. When I'm leading a Lotus Vine retreat, we always say this is the school right here. Every single person, every person you're sitting by, your roommate, the person you're eating with is is everybody's teaching us. We're we're creating that. So I invite people into that space and to show up in that way. Show up, practice, see the benefits on the mind, body, spirit. You know, we're working on the body level, four levels of our system, mental, emotional, vibrational, physical, and all of these work together. They're not compartmentalized. They're holistic, meaning they all move together like the elements, earth, wind, fire, water. They're moving together. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's reinforcing. Yes. It's a very reinforcing circle to, you know, but like obviously the plant medicine is going to take you out of your body a little bit more. But then you have these integrational tools to be like, okay, well, I learned something over here, but what do I do with this? And then the yoga and the the food and the meditation and, and the like chatting with people, it really helps you discover the meaning and how to integrate it into your life or just use the information that you've been given. Yeah, it's like tools. Like we give Dharma talks every day and we give a talk an hour before we do a ceremony. We have a meditation and like a little Dharma talk for like 15 minutes. And these are like the last tools I put in the tool belt for people. If you don't remember anything, remember this right here. And they do, right? They're going to these places and they're like, ah, what's happening? They're like, okay, wait, spring set, ground with the breath, step number one. Remember where I am, open, feel my, you know, whatever it is, we're, we're practicing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we know this stuff, but do we know it when, when we need it the most and then we call on it and then it programs a different way of being when you keep calling on it in those moments and relying on it and trusting yourself, trusting the moment, trusting you'll get through it. You know, ayahuasca retreats can be intense. And beautiful, but it's a range of heaven and hell. You're going to get a range in there as we're doing our healing work. But you always come back. You always come back. And that's <laughs> why you have a team of people there that support you and sing and play music and pray. And, you know, and yeah, we haven't lost anyone yet. So I feel good about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm noticing when people do ayahuasca retreats, they tend to, you know, plan something that's in a different country. They buy a plane ticket, they fly over there. It's this very journey aspect to it. And I'm curious, how important is it for the healing party to remove themselves from their current situation and enter into a more natural and mindful space of healing and health? And how does the divorce from culture inspire healing patterns? Because there's this, you know, like I could do it in this basement, but I don't think it would be as potent as if I like removed myself and went to nature because ayahuasca has a very natural vibe to it. It is mother nature. It's like you're drinking mother nature and it shows herself to you. I'm just curious, like, why is it so important to remove yourself from where you currently are at? The issues might deal with a locality. And so why is that important, do you think? Well, I think it's what you're what you're saying. One is that there, you know, it's also our mythology. You know, it's like 
we go, we are mythology, we are archetypes, right? So there's like, when we're, we're embarking on this healing journey and we want to let go and we want to free ourselves, we plan this three week ayahuasca journey in the forest and we, we get on the plane to Peru and we're in this unusual, it's like, it's, it's part of like the hero's journey. It's like a map, right? We, we intentionally remove ourselves from the familiar and we go into the unfamiliar. And that often is like a threshold of unconscious to conscious. Like we're leaving this unconscious place. We're going into this. We want to wake up. And to really sometimes know ourselves, we have to go into the arena. And the arena is not your backyard where you've been drinking beers for two years. It's not that. It's somewhere unknown or exotic or, you know, we don't feel like we have control, right? It's all unknown. You know, people show up at my retreats and they're like shaking in terror. Like, I know this is going to be good, but I'm so freaked out. Did I make a wrong decision? What am I doing yeah. here? And no, and they're excited too. They're like, no, I want this. I want, I've been praying for this. I can't. So a lot of what we're doing is following a kind of psychological map. And it's the same with when people went to Asia a long time ago. Like they didn't stay in their backyard meditating in their parents' house. They went all the way to the jungle in Thailand or India and they sought out the guru or they, they went on the pilgrimage, right? They went because there's something about that intellectually, mentally, we are, we're sort of setting a tone for ourselves and we do have to come back and we do have to integrate in our backyard where we've been. We have to cross a threshold and are we willing or are we not? It's too easy to stay in our backyard and stay in the loop, in the pattern, in the comfort zone. So, I mean, you know, in a way, just traveling psychedelic because it, it brings you out of what you're just so used to. So it's almost like a cultural like what is it the the neural pathways you know how you're changing them with the the psychedelics it's almost like your cultural pathways are being changed by stepping out of somewhere that you're super familiar with yeah when i land in peru i'm different than when i'm in i'm then i'm in north america you know i feel different the air is different it's like oh we're south okay we're south okay you know we just take on a different identity we're looking at we're awake we're seeing the people we see you know, and our, so there's something about sometimes you have to go on a journey. You just have to. And that's why I call it Lotus Vine Journeys, because, you know, it's like Lotus is the Buddhist representation of awakening. Vine is the plant. And the journey is, yeah, you're going to go on something physically, externally and internally. And sometimes that's what's needed to break out of these patterns of ourselves and our habitual ways of distortion and suffering. Yeah. Oh, so good. So to round it up, is there anything, any last words you'd like to share with our audience? Maybe some upcoming events or anything that you're working on or exciting about your retreat center? Anything you'd like to share with us? Or maybe you can like shout out a website and or like some social media so people can follow you. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I'm working on right now is I'm going through a rebirth within my own organization, Lotus Vine Journeys. And we're moved to Costa Rica and I'm working on acquiring a property there and it's a long-term project. Um, but there will be some retreats coming online. I only have one scheduled this year. I'm taking time off to finish my book project. And But Lotus Line Journeys is where folks can find me or just spring wash them. And yeah, now I'm going to be weaving in a lot around the spirit of Harriet Tubman. 
you know, and also, and, and my retreats will now have this flavor of, you know, the underground railroad, the plants are an underground railroad too, you know, and so in conducting on the underground, it's like, there's a movement of, you know, movement of spirit underground work happening. And that's consciousness now, you know, on multiple levels. So I am, I'm taking time off to figure out where to weave all of these unique offerings that is who I am. Beautiful. <laughs> Together. So you'll stay tuned for something very unique on that end. <laughs> Staying tuned. All right. Well, I mean, I just appreciate you speaking with us today so much you have so much knowledge and insight and just experience with the unknown and the scary things we don't tend to want to face but are very important for our emotional psychological upbringing and well-being and it's just it's just so beautiful to hear you speak and i really appreciate you just sharing your knowledge today Oh, thank you, David. It's wonderful to talk about this. And, and I'm so happy Naropa is talking about it and people can, to have these open, frank, honest conversations is what people need. They need the knowledge of what they're stepping into. So I'm so happy it's not the secrets are, you know, they, we don't have to have a secret conversation. Right? We can have real talk about what's happening with these plants. So thank you for sharing this and being a part of this. And Naropa, I just congratulated all all the time on them stepping into this yo seriously like we could talk about this and a lot of my podcasts have been about psychedelics and the healing therapeutic potential of them and to be to be affiliated with a higher educational facility and to be able to talk about it good for us yes we doing it over here so i i agree i know i that's why i was like I'm so happy to join you all and like support this movement of it's so important because it will help people in the future to have information, to know what they're getting into, to understand if this is right for them, to how to be safe, to be in a community. You know, all of this is, is I, this was didn't exist when I was jumping in. No one was talking about it. So this is wonderful for all the young people and elders. So. Yay, yeah. go David. Go right. Naropa. Yeah, go yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> You're so welcome. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.